1: Welcome to Afterwork Drinks, your weekly dose of news, pop culture, and pinot noir, brought to you by magazine editors and best friends Isabel Truman and Grace O'Neill. It's our international edition.
2: Welcome to the first international edition. AWD. <laughs> this is so exciting, yeah. but I'm, I'm pretty depressed. I was pretty depressed when you left. Yeah. I started on a somber note.
1: Um, fucking hell, man. That plane journey was so long and we bought like the cheapest flights in the like history of the universe they were 500 like sitting in the aisles yeah yeah they were 500 which is so scary and then everyone was like well you're probably gonna die and then Anton's like really petrified of flying which I kind of forget about and he was like it was so funny he was like really really serious as we were lining up to get on the plane and he was like oh okay so the other day um a woman like dropped her drink and it smashed in a cafe. And I was like, what? And then he was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, I just like thought, you know, maybe it's a sign. And I was like, a sign of what? And he was like, that we're about to die. And I was like, oh, okay. And then he was like, and then we were going down. You're like, what? Literally. I was like, I was like, okay, I see what's happening. And then we, and then he was like, and then, like, yeah. And he was like, a woman dropped, no a man dropped his drink in the airport like I, I don't know how I missed this and why he didn't tell me like as it happened because I was in the bar with him and he was like and then <laughs> and then a man dropped his drink in the bar and it smashed on the floor which I like I don't even know happened because I was there and I didn't see anything about it and he was like <laughs> and he was like which I realized is definitely a sign and I was like okie dokie <laughs>
2: Oh yeah it was so Isn't funny hey okay? has he recovered since he got there
1: he's recovered but he was just having like these massive freak outs. and then when I went to sleep on the plane I had a dream because he had been like freaking me out so much I had a dream that the plane crashed and then I woke <laughs> up and was like I can't tell him because he'll just fucking freak <laughs> oh yeah
2: don't tell him he'll be like this is the third and final sign
1: yeah final destination
2: um have you ever had turbulence so bad that you thought you were gonna die
1: um nah I've been quite lucky have you
2: yeah oh, I used
1: actually, to like when when I flew over the U.S. one time um it was like, like we th- flew through a lightning storm and that was really scary oh,
2: that's no fun there was like full yeah, light fl- lightning
1: clapping everywhere
2: yeah I used to like turbulence because I thought I was like really tough and I was like turbulence is like fun it's like going on a roller coaster and I was really into it. And then I had a couple of really bad ones. And I was like, oh, and now if a plane even jostles. I just get so, 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 so scared. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I know.
2: Think this is how I was meant to go.
1: Yeah. It happens as you get older, like with everything. Now I'm just like so petrified of everything. I don't know how I ever jumped out of a plane one time.
2: Oh, yeah. That's so cool that you did that. I yeah. wouldn't do that now. You actually have to do all these things when you're like 20 and like an idiot. Yes, 100%. <laughs> well, you never would.
1: Yeah, when I jumped out of the plane, I was like, oh, this is going to be so fun. And then my ears just got fucked the entire way down and it just felt like my head was going to burst. <laughs> it was like, it wasn't fun at all. And I was with this random German instructor who like couldn't speak a word of English. And I was trying to like fuck with my like a helmet thing because my ears were so sore and he was like, no, no. <laughs> I didn't it was like such an Indian accent, but yeah
2: fuck yeah
1: mm. um to start off with we had some really incredible responses to our abortion episode last week um we had so many more women sharing their stories and discussions around kind of breaking down the stigma of abortions like so many I a lot of people didn't
2: realize that they had felt a stigma around it until they listened to other people talking about it and realized that there was a reason they haven't talked about it to their friends.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Like so many of them said that they haven't shared their stories with anyone before now, like not the guy, not even their parents. Um, And it kind of made us realise that we didn't even realise last week when we were talking that it was going to make so many people kind of yeah, exactly what you just said. Realize that there's this weird shame around abortion and that's why they'd never talked about it. And this like really brave woman called Jessie shared her story in our closed Facebook group. Um and she said, Listening to your podcast today brought such a sense of comfort hearing that other women have had experiences like mine. Having an abortion and the whole process that comes along with it can make you feel so isolated, guilty, and alone. And maybe that's what we need to do. Actually speak openly about our experiences.
2: I love you, Jesse. <laughs> I was like, are you going to speak? No, but we do. Like, it's just amazing. I think for us, people don't realize that we just sit in a room and just kind of, like, talk shit or just have a chat or we, like, obviously reach out to people to talk as well. But we, I guess, forget that it can have an impact when other people actually listen and feel, like, less alone in experiences that they've had because I think a lot of the time, nearly all women that we know and speak to you have had really, really, really kind of almost eerily similar experiences with all these things. And it's not until you kind of open the floodgates that everyone's like, oh, mm-hmm. that exact same thing happened to me. And it's kind of this amazing, comforting feeling to know that.
1: Yeah, we had a, another really lovely message from a girl who said she was um, bawling her eyes out, walking down the street, listening to everyone share their stories. Um, and I don't know, it kind of feels like we've got this great little group support like a little support network yes um and we had a really great email from a couple of women in the medical profession about our conversation around birth control so you know how we were sort of saying that it's just like we have found it quite impossible so you've, you've been through so many different options. yeah yeah um and the pill makes me a fucking psycho but i just like do it anyway we <laughs> were
2: talking about it again at work today and we were all talking about how being on the pill literally made us impossible to live with.
1: Yeah, you like get on the pill because you start having a serious relationship or something, and then it's just like the pill yeah, is just like
2: with that relationship.
1: hundred yeah, percent. Like as soon as you're on the pill, the guy's like, "Oh, this is uh, not what I, the person I thought I was dating."
2: My friend was like, "I just would just cry, yeah, like every day, every yeah, day, just cry and cry and cry and cry."
1: Um, but these girls said. My friend and I are both in the medical profession and we're chatting about some of the contraception issues you were discussing on the most recent episode. We really want women to know there are heaps of options out there and it doesn't have to be a horrible or expensive ordeal. There's so much misleading info around that it can be super confusing, but doctors and health professionals in general are always open to discussing the different options and you can really work together in finding a method that suits your body and lifestyle. Um, They linked a couple of websites that lay out all the options in a way that's really easy to understand. Um, One that's really Australian specific um, that they call the Bible on women's health care in Australia. Um, So we'll put both of those in the show notes. And they said, Yeah. yeah, and they said, we just thought it was really important to reinforce the amount of contraceptive options out there and note that it's so important to find a doctor that's supportive and open to chatting about this kind of thing and to help you find something that suits you. So thank you to Jasmine and Tammy, who are our, our official AWD resident medical professionals.
2: Send I know, audio... we'll be pulling you up with some, like, exactly some questions, and you'll hate that you ever reached out to us. I know. I'll, I'll be, be like, like... how do I get the anesthetist's invoice paid on my sinus surgery? And you will be like, please, fuck <laughs> off. I'll
1: be like, I have a little rash that I'm not sure if it's eczema or not. <laughs> <laughs> uh... Uh
2: god I feel like we should really quickly explain what our emotional goodbye to each other was like just in case people I just feel like it's so classic us what ended up happening yeah yeah so we had we had like a big bougie dinner at Chin Chin which is Izzy's favorite restaurant which I also love but it was it's like all your favorite foods like Thai food it's like Asian fusion yeah it's like really delicious yeah anyway um we had dinner there and I was like Izzy I'm getting this and she's like no you're not and I was like yes I am and she's like no because if you do you'll ask me for money in like 10 days <laughs> <laughs> you'll be to bail me out
1: I'll be in Spain and you'll be like fucking wire me 300 bucks wire now
2: 300 dollars please I'll be like actually I've changed my mind we're splitting that bill like afterwards anyway it is so expensive to eat in this city. It's yeah, just that was
1: like ludicrously expensive. But we did like $350.
2: Order...
1: Yeah, we did order so much food that we couldn't eat it.
2: Yeah. Anyway, and... it was, I think we're both, we're not very sentimental people and we're not very like touchy-feely. Like no. we don't like hug or kiss or anything like that. No, that's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> That was disgusting. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to be cool and normal and chill. I'm not going to cry or say something weird or be like, you've changed my life or whatever. And we were walking to Central Station and we were about to part ways and I could feel myself welling up. Like we would had a bottle of wine and a cocktail and another glass of wine. And I like, and I was like dueling. Yeah. And I was like, okay, Izzy. Then I was like, oh. and then this junkie just came over and was like, hey. all like, what the fuck? it's this horrible situation where you just have these two semi-drunk white girls being like can you just give us a moment please like we're trying to say goodbye
1: I know and then you go Izzy he's still there and I turned around and he was just like leaning over my shoulder like listening in I was like no not now
2: I know that Izzy was like whatever just bye we just like left
1: I know and then we had to call each other like two seconds later i know um, another funny part was um that like we literally got halfway through our meal and then we were just like talking about pedophiles <laughs> it was just like at this beautiful restaurant and we were like oh my god pedophiles are so fucked and we were like just talking about the darkest things ever
2: i know there was this one time i had dinner with my friend Tilly who we've talked about before and she's just like so hilarious and we were at um beer and dumplings in Potts Point, and I swear we'd been having the most normal conversation like the whole dinner and then they put a like an older couple, like a couple in their 60s, on the same double table as us outside so we were like on top of each other it was like we were having dinner with this couple and then Tilly just got onto this story about a pedophile and like literally 10 seconds up they sat down she's like yeah so the dad right he's like seven foot tall ex-rugby <laughs> player he gets the pedophile down and he like literally nearly bashes him to death and the mom's <laughs> screaming the kid's screaming the pedophile's nearly dead and the couple were like what the fuck oh my god i <laughs> amazing that was off the chin chin you just get on to the like you just talk with your friends like normal and then it takes a third party coming in to realize how insane your conversations are
1: i know i'm trying to think of what that exact situation was that happened like two days ago and we were talking who the fuck was i with and we were like just sitting out for breakfast and the couple right beside us and they were just like <laughs> they were just like yeah, and then we were having sex, and then he, like, flipped me around, and the couple were just trying to eat their, like, fucking hash browns. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Amazing. Anyway, so that was our loving goodbye to each other.
1: And that Johnny Bravo guy, how I got, like, really drunk, and you went to the bathroom for two seconds, and then the the waiter with, like, his open shirt.
2: I know. He was literally, like, a cartoon character of a, like, jock. Yeah. Just and- like so muscular and tall and tanned, and was just like, hey, he was like a, like a movie character.
1: I know, and you came back, and I was like, I love this restaurant. It's my last night in Sydney, and I'm at this restaurant. And he was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Can
2: you please pay the bill and leave?
1: I know. I was like, I have a boyfriend. I'm not hitting on you.
2: He <laughs> was just like,
1: <laughs> I asked if you want another glass of wine. <laughs>
2: anyway have you done any exciting reading or watching or anything since you've got there
1: um yes what the fuck was I doing on the plane
2: oh, oh I watch I, I always think I'm gonna read like a novel on the plane and I just sleep or watch like suddenly 33 times in a row
1: yeah I watched I Tonya again which I've watched like twice because I'm just really obsessed with the skating in it <laughs> yes. every time she skates I like get like really emotional
2: yeah get like goosebumps i know because
1: i also just feel so like i think this is bad because like obviously it's not a good thing to bash your competitor's kneecap in but i just feel really bad for Tonya harding
2: (laughs) yeah i know no so do i she had a a shitty life
1: yeah and then she was banned from doing what she loves for her whole life
2: oh that's making me sad again
1: I know and then also but I'm kind of like I wonder what her actual involvement in it was because she's always been like it wasn't me and if it wasn't her then that fucking sucks but if it was her then that's like really psycho.
2: But you know how there's just crazy guys who are like yeah we're gonna like bash your kneecap in and you're like yeah 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 like you would just make a joke and then you yeah. went and did it and she would have been like what the fuck and he would have been like she told me to do it.
1: I love the dumb, that like dumb one who thought he was her bodyguard.
2: And how, oh yeah, and how and he looked exactly like the actual guy at the end.
1: Yeah, so good. Um, what else did I do on the plane? I listened to. So last week we were special guests on our friends Mel and Josie's podcast, All Aussie Mystery Hour. So if you want to hear like four of us trying to talk over each other in the mics about true crime listen to that I know
2: exactly it's like it's really frustrating to listen to four people who have really similar voices trying to talk at
1: once but I also think because we didn't like a we didn't do a test run I didn't even know we were recording like I didn't know the podcast yeah. that started um yeah, and then yeah. like you kind of don't realize that you're talking over each other but yeah. now that I've listened back I'm like oh god I really would have like stopped myself from talking if someone else was
2: I also said to Zach as well, there's like a millisecond where you're not sure if someone else is going to respond. So you want to respond to the person who's spoken isn't left hanging, but then you, you can't gauge if someone else is going to jump in on that millisecond until it's it's too late.
1: Yeah. So then off the back of that, so we we're kind of talking about true crime um, and we started talking about case file, which we've actually never talked about on this podcast before. Haven't we? No. And it's like this incredible podcast series done by this Australian guy. Who has like the most annoying voice in the world, but like.
2: Literally. And no one knows who he is. He's completely anonymous.
1: Yeah. Do you know someone said to me that, um, I don't know if this is just a rumor, but that <laughs> apparently he was one of the voices on the teacher's pet. And then people figured out what? who he was because um, in the teacher's pet credits, it like says who the voice was playing that character. But then, like, I feel like that would have made headlines, so probably not.
2: I feel like we would have recognised it as well. That's like very much our yeah bag.
1: Um, so maybe that. So I saw
2: the, I saw the Teachers Pet referenced on a British Vogue article today, and I was like, "Oh, Headley, well oh, done!"
1: So good. Yeah, we will be so pleased. A girl posted our group today, being like, "Thanks to you, I've like just binge listened to the Teachers Pet." Um, Amazing. You're welcome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I started listening to Case File again off the back of that. Which, if you haven't listened, it's like probably one of the most iconic podcast series that's come out of australia and it's just um this guy with the most monotone voice kind of like reading out about true crime stories so it's kind of like the it's
2: so well researched like it's beyond he's got a whole team of researchers on it it's amazing but
1: he does it so he's like reads it in such a monotone voice but somehow it's like just hooks you in so much and you think the story is going to be quite straightforward and then it never is there's always like a crazy twist
2: there's always a twist. I found at first I actually couldn't listen to it because I found his voice so, 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 so grating and yeah. I just – the content was so good that I pushed past it.
1: Um, I was, So, like, for example, I listened to one and I was like, oh, this is, like, so obviously – so it was this woman and she kind of, like – she was she had a headache and she always got headaches so she always took these painkillers. And then one morning she was getting ready for work and her daughter – was like where's mom and went into the bathroom and her mom had died on the ground and she was Mm. like, what the fuck? And, um, they found out that the, the painkillers that she would use had been replaced with, um, cyanide.
2: Oh my God. Yeah. So
1: someone had like drained one of the little capsules and put, and replaced it with cyanide. And then she'd taken that and died. And, um, and, and also like a crazy part is apparently there's like, I think it's, one only twenty five percent of people can smell this weird smell that cyanide poisoning lets off, but like other people can't smell it at all. And so in the autopsy room, one woman out of everyone in there could smell this weird smell, and she and then everyone else could could smell nothing. But because she could, they tested for cyanide poisoning, and it turns out she had it. Um, and so that you like immediately think it's like her husband or someone like that that's done it. And then yeah. it kind of becomes like big news because um, they were worried that maybe someone was doing it at the end of the like drug company, like whoever the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the painkillers were. Um, you know how like someone was putting those needles in strawberries here? Yeah?
2: It's strawberries, yeah. yeah. They're like angry at their boss.
1: Yeah. Um, and then this other woman calls up and she's like, this sounds exactly like how my husband died. And so they went back and tested because he took the exact same painkillers and they went back and tested his painkillers and they had cyanide in them as well. But when they did the initial autopsy for him, it came up clear because no one smelled, no one could smell the cyanide poisoning. Um, oh, God. Yeah. And so, so it was like two people. So suddenly they're like recalling all of those painkillers and like it's this huge big thing like in America, like all over the news. Then you find out that the person who did it was actually this woman whose husband had died and the woman who (laughs) called and she called the police and was like, my husband died in the same way. Like, I think my husband's death was like, was to do with this. And she called the police on herself because when he died, they ruled it as, um, they said it was like something to do with his health. So it wasn't ruled as an accidental death. So like she got some of his life insurance, but she didn't get the extra hundred K she would have gotten if it was accidental. So she called the police on herself trying to get them to rule the death as accidental so she could get the extra 100k but instead she just got caught for poisoning her husband oh my god
2: yeah. where well, she
1: poisoned that random woman to like
2: add to the soup.
1: yes so she poisoned the random woman because her husband's like they just didn't figure it out when her husband died so she poisoned so she added like a bunch more cyanide into other bottles and put them at the um store like the supermarket and then this other woman died
2: oh my god i See, know that's like the, that's literally the best story i've ever heard
1: yeah and it was just this random case file one that like, was like terrible
2: oh. for the people involved
1: yeah i was like i just haven't but listened to that
2: that's what case file is like there's just cases you listen to and you're just like oh my goodness gracious me
1: yeah so i reckon we should after this because i i can't like think of them off the top of my head but after this we should put like note down our favorite five and put them in the show notes
2: yeah, for sure. Because
1: Sherry Sherry Ralphsman or whatever is the best one to ever exist.
2: Yeah, that's like a literal work of art. Like in the future, when we have virtual art galleries. That podcast will exist in there. Yes, and that's all we're gonna say. Because my mom told me like too much about it. She was like, oh. I won't tell you everything but basically Lila and she just told me like the whole story and I was like well, I still really want to listen but fuck I wish I was hearing all these twists for the first time yeah I remember
1: you recommended it to me and you didn't you didn't say a thing and then when I listened I was messaging you you, you being like what the fuck
2: yeah it's beyond mm. literally um, beyond
1: and then the other thing that I watched was I finally watched The Wife have you seen that
2: no, no. Glenn Close. The movie? Yeah.
1: Yes. It's bloody brilliant. Is it? Yeah, she's so it, good in a, it.
2: Meg Wallet's a book.
1: Yeah, but I didn't fucking know that until after I watched the movie and then I was like, oh, I really right. would have, like, read the book first. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's based off a of Meg Wallet's a book. And, um, basically, Glenn Close p- plays this woman called Joan Castleman um, and her husband wins the Nobel Prize in Literature. And you're sort Mm. of like, what's going on? Because she's – I don't want to say the whole story, but she's, like, really upset when he wins the Nobel Prize and then it's just, like, got this crazy twist in it. And she's so good in it. Like, after I watched it, I was like, I feel like she should have won the Oscar.
2: Yeah. I feel. Does does Hollywood, like, hate Glenn Close? Like, why does she keep nearly winning Oscars and not getting them?
1: I don't know, but then I talked to my friend Hannah about this yesterday because I was like, I feel like she should have won it. And Hannah's, like, really – She lives in london she's a freelance writer but she does heaps of like film reviews and stuff Mm. and she was like i don't think that she was kind of like i think that olivia coleman should have won it because apparently like even though everyone was like oh it's obviously going to be glenn close like they both actually won the same amount of awards in the lineup to the in the lead up to the oscars um and she was sort of like i don't believe in like career oscars like It should just be based off that one piece of work. But I still think, like, she was so incredible in it. But I think because I just watched it, like, yesterday, maybe I'm a bit biased.
2: I love – have you seen Fatal Attraction?
1: Not that I – no.
2: That is the best movie. It's, like, the anti Notting Hill. Like, you have to watch it. I think it's on Netflix. It's from the 80s, and it's, like, Glenn Close. And I'll tell you kind of what happens because it's that good. It's, like, Glenn Close – has an affair with a married guy and you think it's kind of, like, not a rom-com at the start but, like, this, this romance and then he breaks up with her because he thinks it's just a fling and she just goes off chops out of her brain psycho.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs>
2: it's so good. It's so fucking good.
1: Um, I'm trying to think of what the movie was that I was watching on the plane. My fucking, like, screen on the back of the seat in front of me kept turning off. Like, oh my and so every time i tried to watch a movie it kept turning off and i tried to tell the air hostess but she didn't understand what i was saying and she was like trying to just show me how to turn it on and i was like i know that she's
2: like you paid 500 dollars for
1: this you yeah yeah just, um but fuck what was the movie you'll probably know what it is it had like josh hartnett in it and um diane kruger and then it also had rose byrne when she was younger and it was <laughs> Just like the best movie ever. Rose Byrne was yes. the fucking hottest bitch when she was younger. She she is
2: so, 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 so beautiful.
1: Oh, Wicker Park.
2: Oh, no, I haven't seen it.
1: Oh, well, it looks bloody good. I was watching it like on Anton's screen as he had his headphones in.
2: <laughs> Amazing.
1: Um, And also, I know I recommended Dead to Me last week, the Netflix show, but I was only like two episodes through last week and I was sort of recommending it because – It was good, but mostly because I'd heard other people saying it was incredible, and now I'm up to episode eight and it's just like the best, funniest, coolest show ever. Really? Yeah, you have to watch it. You'll love it. It's really, really funny.
2: Okay, I'll watch it.
1: Have you got recommendations?
2: I do have recommendations. So I just today on my desk landed Elaine Welteroth's book. She's the former editor of Teen Vogue. She was made the editor when she was 29. Mm-hmm. You know her? Mm-hmm. And she was, the I think, the second woman of colour in history. Yeah. At Condé Nest. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. I've been a fan of hers for ages. And um, how do you say her name? The film director. Ava DuVernay mm-hmm. did the opening thing. So I've read, like, only 20, 30 pages of that, but that's really – great so far and it's kind of about it's a little bit woo woo Oprah self-helpy like a little bit veering on that side but it's called more than enough and it's basically about how to like feel comfortable enough in yourself and your own abilities at work that you're not constantly panicking and second guessing every single thing that you do when you're operating at a really high level like that
1: oh my friend was literally just telling me yesterday when we were on the tube like it was fucking horrible i'm never going on the tube again in my life um <laughs> <laughs> i was literally like oh my god like i about to have a panic attack there were so many people but she told me she's <laughs> reading a similar sort of book about how to have like confidence at work and how to not doubt
2: yourself and how to yeah get i out. feel like it's going to be quite helpful for me actually because i always doubt myself and then i also love love loved on your recommendation thank you Angelica Houston on Mark Marin mm-hmm. on the WTF podcast, just so, so, so good. I just love her. She's just so honest and amazing and frank and wise and cool and doesn't – because we read that amazing interview with her in Vulture, but just listening to her talk is obviously like a different experience. And it's kind of the first time I've listened to him interview someone where I feel like he's really intimidated by them.
0: Mm.
2: She just sounds so sure of herself all the time and it's she's sort of friendly and personable without being – like she's still withholding but in a really cool way, in a I'm so certain and sure of myself that I'm not going to overcompensate to give you stuff. Yes. You know what I mean?
1: Also, for someone who has, like, enough time in their day to watch Trainwreck, like, four times in a week, when are you going to watch The Witches? (laughs) You honestly have to. It's like Trainwreck.
2: (laughs) That's our little secret, Izzy.
1: Um, I listened to a really old Lena Dunham podcast. You know how she had that old podcast called Women of the Hour?
2: Yeah, I'm really off her at the moment again.
1: What's she done?
2: Well, so you remember how ages ago she got in trouble and had to apologize because someone, an actress, came out and accused one of the girls' producers of raping her? Yeah. And then she came out and was like, I think this is one of the 3% of cases where the woman's lying. So bad. And then she redacted it and was like, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that actress, her name's Aurora Perrineau, and she's just done an interview with Glamour magazine because Ava DuVernay to bring her up again, after that thing with Lena Dunham happened, was really worried that she would just be sort of forgotten and never work again because that's kind of how the system works. So she wanted to use her power as an influential director to get her an acting gig to make sure she wasn't forgotten about. So she's in her new show, which is coming out soon, about the Central Park Five, and she, this actress Aurora, who's only 24, uh, did an interview with Glamour, About this role but also touching on the Lena Dunham stuff Mm -hmm. and she basically this guy was in his 30s she was 17 she didn't go into detail but she said he raped her and then she was like I didn't even know Lena Dunham or Jenny Connor who was her like girl's Mm co-creator and then she said when that she, she was like I made my allegation against this guy who's called Mari Miller. I made that allegation before me too even happened. I just, like, couldn't sleep, couldn't eat, was so depressed, and my parents were basically, what's like, what's happened? And when I told them, both her parents are actors, they were like, you need to go to the police, this needs to go on record, and she kind of just did it for her own peace of mind. And then it got embroiled in me two months later when that wasn't her intention. And she was like, it just would have passed completely un- acknowledged if lena dunham hadn't spoken out about it and called her a liar basically and she just got this barrage of hatred because of it and then lena dunham apologized and then when lena dunham apologized she said that she lied in her statement when she said she had insider information that would exonerate her. i know so she just how
1: m- fucked up is that
0: like that's so that's yeah. like evil yeah. like that's
2: so messed up i know like i
0: just forgot how
2: How bad it was. And yeah. when I was reading, that, I was like, you're such a dirt bag. Yeah.
1: So like at the time, for anyone who doesn't know, so Lena Dunham was sticking up for this guy because she, he was one of her, like, didn't he work on Girls or he worked with her Yeah, Yeah. He was and, a um, producer
2: or something on yeah, Girls one of or Yeah,
1: one of her good friends. And Lena Dunham came out and was like, he didn't do this. I know it for a fact. I have insider information that like makes me believe, like makes me know he didn't do it. And then like she came out later and was like, I was lying about that.
2: Yeah, and I feel like the only reason she's backtracked is because she didn't know that this girl has – her dad was in Lost, her mum's an actress, like they're kind of a Hollywood family. She had people around her to kind of protect her. And I just – the reason it makes me feel sick is is because if Ava DuVernay hadn't decided to cast this girl and if this girl didn't happen to have famous parents, I just feel like – I really doubt that Lena Dunham would have made this huge point to get up and apologise and talk about it. Like I think she just would have been happier to have it swept under the rug
0: Mm. and it
2: just made me feel a bit like – gross towards her yeah
1: it's so bad now I don't want to give my recommendation
2: I know sorry I was like about her podcast episode that you loved (laughs) (laughs) no it was
1: just a good one because um something that like we kind of have talked about quite a bit is being like and we touch on actually next week I know last week we said we had special guests but we were wrong it's actually next week Um, And we touch on it next week a little bit about being friends and then starting a sort of like side hustle or business or something together. And um, this podcast episode is Lena Dunham and Jemima Kirk. And they're just like talking openly about how they were best friends for, they've been best friends for 20 years. And then how, like how their friendship changed when they started working together. And like, I had no idea about this, but they like fully fell out after the first season of Girls and like, they didn't talk and Jemima Kirk when she was pregnant with her first baby, she called Lena Dunham first before she even told her husband and was like, I'm pregnant, blah, blah, blah. And then with her second baby, she didn't tell Lena Dunham until she was like four and a half months pregnant and
2: everyone knew. I actually could have listened to this and she like didn't tell her on purpose because she knew it would make her so, so, so upset. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I was like, that's so evil, but I love it.
1: It's so evil. um, and then Lena was like talking about how she was obsessed with Jemima at school and did anything she wanted to do and Jemima was like, yeah. <laughs> that's like who I surrounded myself with back then like I, I just wanted to have power over people and then Jemima said that like she felt like Lena Dunham casting her in girls was a way of like having power over her finally like all this weird shit which obviously none of that's happened with us if I was pregnant I'd call
2: you like immediately <laughs> I know, I know, I know exactly. It would have been like a weird power dynamic. I think it seems like a lot of people find Lena Dunham really hard to work with. Like Jenny Connor and her like split up. Basically. Yeah, she would be anyway. Yeah, I just think with that kind of thing, like we would just we would hold men to the most insane standard if they did something like that about a young black girl, yeah, I just want <laughs> bad, to hold to the same standard. back to that, but yes, yes. <laughs> Also speaking of, I have my own story about like a problematic fave, which is that I watched an old episode of Louie on the weekend. Um, and I've mentioned before that like I'm a huge fan of Louis C.K.'s work, and Louis is one of my favorite shows of all time. And this episode is called "So Did the Fat Lady," and it's just this amazing. I remember it being amazing, and I don't know why it popped into my head. I wanted to rewatch it, but he, it just kind of and this what makes him so complicated because this is such a nuanced piece of work about. What women have to deal with in the world it's basically about him going to the comedy club and there's like an overweight waitress who works there who's hilarious like so 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 funny super cute like awesome conversationless likes all the same stuff as him and he just won't go on a date with her even though she likes him and then he's just like this big kind of like slob like there's this whole scene of him and his brother going and doing this thing called bang bang where they eat like a whole feast of Indian food and then go to a diner and eat like a whole feast of burgers and they're just like shoveling food in their face and like joking about how they're never going to lose weight and how they are never going to go to the gym and yet he just won't go out with this girl because she's a bigger girl and then she has this whole conversation at the end where she's like it sucks being a fat girl in this world like we are just told that we're not allowed to have romance or love or affection like guys will have sex with us but they won't. Ever want to date us or tell us they love us or tell us that we're beautiful because they're worried it makes them less manly and it's like so unfair that we're just expected. We just have to deal with going through life without getting all of these things. Mm. it's just, I just, I, it just hits the nail on the head so much about how much weight is such a gendered issue.
1: Yeah, it's so fucked. Just, it's, it's like it, that um that massive piece that I recommended a while ago. I think it was on The Atlantic about obesity. And it was just like so, 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 so sad. And how – we I already talked about this. But how this girl's mum took her to the doctor and was like, she, my daughter has an eating disorder. She's like starving herself. But because she was overweight, the doctor was like, keep doing what you're doing. Even though she would eat like yeah. one cracker a day and faint from hunger. And he was like, oh, well, it, like that's
2: like good. Keep doing what you're doing. It's just crazy. And it's crazy as well because I think that – you can have – I just thought even the fact that you could have the protagonist in a TV show be overweight and talk about how he's never, ever going to go to the gym and have episodes where he just sits and eats ice cream till he wants to throw up, but he's still the protagonist and we still care about him. I can't think of a single show in history, maybe Roseanne, but where a woman has been, like, overweight the protagonist of a show and has been able to be unapologetically happy with the way she looks mm. eat unhealthily like not go to the gym eat crap and that's just the way she is and it, the story isn't how she's going to change or how she's going to learn to love herself she just is that way like it's yeah. just that doesn't exist in anywhere in pop culture
1: yeah it's and in crazy. this like in this piece again to bring it back to that um this other woman was saying that when she's at work if they have like she's in a board meeting she's got a really high power job and if she's at work and they bring like biscuits or like tea and tea and coffee with snacks into the boardroom she just like won't pick up any of the food or eat anything even if she's really hungry because she feels like if she eats people are going to be like oh it's you know she can't help but eat these like treats like she must eat really unhealthy all the time and then she's like but then if I if I don't eat she thinks that people are like oh like she's being you know she's being good she knows that she can't eat this like it's just it's so fucked
2: Yeah, yeah, everything they do is so um, scrutinised. Mm. But anyway, so two, two problematic faves. Yeah. In a row. Not really faves, but, you know, people. So this week was uh, yet another... Reminder to us, uh, it seems like we can't really escape the issue of violence towards women and in Australia we had, it's just kind of felt like this routine scenario in which another young woman was murdered in a park in Melbourne by another young man. This time it was 25-year-old Courtney Heron who had been at a party in Melbourne CBD and was later uh, found the following morning. She had been killed and was in a park. Uh, she was uh, homeless, essentially. She'd been kind of couch surfing and um, sometimes actually slept in the park where she was killed, which I think adds a different um, dimension to this story and that it adds questions about, why she didn't have the help available. Did yeah, lots of sleep? friends and
1: family have spoken out and sort of said that she really wanted to find help. She re- she had a drug problem and she really wanted to get better and she'd kind of been couch surfing and staying with friends and family and that she wasn't like homeless per se, but she did sleep sometimes on the street. But she had friends and family she could go to. She just like couldn't kick this problem. So I guess it's kind of about it opens up the whole conversation about what we're doing to help young people who are in these situations. Like I just feel like it it's kind of until something like this happens, it's something that you can just
2: easily kind of not think about actively. Yeah, totally. And I think obviously we don't want anybody having to sleep on the streets or um, being like being untreated for drug addiction or problems like that but i think if you're a young woman there is a sort of added aspect that's a threat to your safety Yeah, i think like it's not good for anyone but i think if you're a 25 year old woman having to sleep in a park or on the streets like there is just this extra added level of threat to your safety i think that's really concerning and i think we like to think that we don't live in a world where a girl who's of a similar age to us and who would be very similar to us if we sat down and spoke to her would ever have to do something as drastic as sleep in a park on a winter's night Mm. in the middle of Melbourne.
1: You know what I mean? It's just,
2: it's quite frightening.
1: Yeah. It kind of reminds me as well. um, One day when I was heading home from Bondi, me and my friend Nikki were getting the bus um, up from Bondi beach and this woman was behind us and she was like sobbing uncontrollably. And so I turned around and I was like, are you okay? Like, what's going on? Do you, need, do you need help? And she was just like, I live in a halfway house. I've been trying to get help for years. Like, no one will help me. They just put all of these addicts, they just like throw them all into this house like a halfway house and they're just all in there and they can't get the help they need because everyone's still addicted to drugs and so like people are still doing drugs and it's like this really scary environment to be for a woman and it was like it was so sad and I just didn't know what to do like it was like
2: yeah
1: um me like when she got off the bus because I was like I was like surely you can call your parents like surely you can like go home and they'll help you and Like, do you need to call them off my phone? Like, what do you need? And I was literally like, as soon as she got off the bus, because I I just like didn't know what to do. And me and my friend just like burst into tears. And I was like, I wanted to invite her home to my house to help her. But then I know that that like, isn't safe, a safe thing to do. And also like, it probably won't even help. I don't know. I was like, I just don't know what to do. And it like, how is it that the system is failing people so much that this young woman was like, like, I don't know what to do. I'm stuck in this house with like, creepy men. Like she she yes. basically said that she'd been raped there. It was horrible. Yeah. And so I yeah. just like burst into tears when she got off the bus and was like, surely there's like better options than this. Like how many people must be kind of
2: stuck? A hundred percent. And apparently the grower the fastest growing rate of people within the homeless population within Australia is uh, middle-aged women.
1: Yeah, Because it's I've women heard that. who
2: have, didn't get, like, high school um, – didn't get past high school education, became mothers young, never got qualifications, have never worked. Now their kids are grown up, they're divorced from their husbands, their husbands aren't paying them any support, and they cannot get jobs that can pay for them because they don't have – they have, like, a 20-year gap on their resumes, basically, mm. which is terrifying. So that's an added aspect to the sort of – Yeah, so crazy. Yeah, it's so crazy. The, the good thing, the only good thing to come out of this horrible situation is the fact that the Melbourne police obviously made a pretty uh, strong pivot in their response to the situation. So obviously when Eurydice Dixon died last year, the police were highly criticised because their response was essentially, this is a reminder to women of how you've got to be safe at night and look be conscious of your own safety and look after yourself, which obviously caused a backlash. This time the... Uh, Victoria Police Commissioner Luke Cornelius really came out and said this is another example of how we need to change the way that men treat women and we yeah. need to look at the way that we can reduce men committing violence against women and women shouldn't have to deal with this behaviour. And I think that was – I kind of wanted to breathe like a sigh of relief in a sense when I read that because it felt like it took the onus of us Yeah, in a weird way. Like I didn't yeah. realise how powerful him saying that would feel to me until I read it.
1: Yeah, he said something like it's not about telling women they need to walk with keys in their hands. It's not about telling women they need to like not be out at night. It's about stopping men from attacking women or something.
0: Yeah. Was yeah, it was exactly. it a different
1: guy or was it the same guy? I actually have no idea. <laughs> Cuz it would be so funny if it was a different one and then the first guy's just like fuck in hell
2: like Yeah. He's like, "Oh god. <laughs> no, I just well, got wrong." Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, I think something that's interesting that I wanted to talk to you about, and I think we have to tread carefully here because it's definitely not our area of expertise. But I have seen in some Facebook groups that I'm a part of, and just some online chatter about the decision uh, by some media outlets to refer to the fact that uh, Courtney Heron's accused killer uh, is was apparently is apparently diagnosed with, among other things. Uh, adhd potential borderline personality disorder and autism spectrum disorder and i read some people saying who have mental health issues that they were really upset that that was being referenced because it was almost as if not a justification but it was almost as if it was it was a reason for why he did it whereas they were like for the majority of people that have any of these disorders it, it doesn't cause them to be violent and it's kind of making a nasty link that shouldn't be there Mm
1: -hmm.
2: at the same time I think that that maybe there could be a connection between undiagnosed mental health issues and violence and that that's probably an important conversation to have if we can look at the ways that if he'd been treated better or diagnosed earlier that it could have potentially not led to him acting, but like, I don't, I don't know, but I I would imagine that there could be factors like that. So maybe it's like not mentioning it it at all could also have dangerous effects.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's sort of like nobody's saying that everyone who has borderline personality disorder or ADHD is going to go and murder someone, but it's saying that like a contributing factor to the reason this man was living on the street or in the situation that he was in or mentally like could commit a crime like that, this could have had something to do with it. Like, I I think it's important that we talk about it. And also, like, the link between how, yeah, how his life got to where it was. Because he grew up in Sydney, like, went to a private school, was, like, really well off.
2: I think people get, and I understand why, upset when you spend too much time looking at the reasons why men commit violence. Because they feel like you're going out of your way to empathize with a murderer Mm. and obviously they're still alive and their victim isn't. And so it feels like they're getting more focused than the person who's died. But I also think if our goal is harm minimization, like if we want less women to get murdered, we need to be able to look into the reasons why people do these things, Mm -hmm. if only to try and avoid it happening again. Like there has to be reasons. Like I just don't really believe that we just live in a world where some people are just evil and that's just the way they are and that's it. Like I think that if you drill down – Like, I'm reading this book, I forgot to mention, by Norman Mailer called The Executioner's Song, and it's, like, this, it's a thousand pages, it's going to take me, like, a year to read. Um, It's a non-fiction book about a case in the US in the 70s where a guy basically just executed two people, like, just killed two people, like, he's just a fucking dirtbag, but it goes into his whole history and what led him up to that point and he'd been in and out of jail since he was 16 and his parents were both super abusive and he was just in this environment where he was drinking all the time and stealing and everyone was drinking and stealing and is you know his girlfriend was 18 and he was 35 and everyone in her family was dysfunctional and like when you read it in that way you totally get how he got to the point of doing what he did. Like he was hopped up on drugs, he needed money to get a car. If he didn't have a car, he couldn't go to his job and make money and his girlfriend left him because he wasn't making money and couldn't hold down his job. And he – like there's all these factors that led to it and it wasn't that he was just a bad person, although he did a terrible thing. And I think that in almost every case of any crime – yeah. You could go back and understand much more about why crime happens if yeah. you're willing to like have that uncomfortable conversation.
1: Yeah, I think that there's definitely like there definitely would be cases where people are just fucking horrible. But then yes. more often than not, yeah. It's like it's what led them to get to their that point. And I guess this case in particular highlights a conversation we need to have potentially about mental health and also a conversation around how we can prevent women getting to the situation that Courtney was in and and feeling like she had to sleep on the streets and getting help earlier and actually like preventing her from ha- having to be in that situation in the first place. And like of course we're in no way implying that a man having mental health issues or a woman sleeping on the street should be any excuse for a young woman to lose her life. Like the fact of the matter is like any of the other 29 cases of women being murdered by men in Australia this year, the first and foremost issue is violence against women. Um, What we are saying is that we think we do need to look at some of the potential causes behind why people commit these horrendous crimes. Because as you mentioned, like the end goal is to stop another life being lost and we should explore any means possible to put a stop to this violence. On a bit of a less serious note, but still quite concerning is what's been happening with Moby and Natalie Portman this week. So for anyone who doesn't know, Moby wrote a memoir when it all fell apart and in it he claimed like so randomly That he dated Natalie Portman when he was 33 and she was 20. And he said that they met backstage at one of his concerts and that they dated for a little bit after that. But then Natalie Portman came out and denied that they ever had a romantic relationship and said that um, her recollection is a much older man being creepy with her. And then she added that while he said she was 20, she was, like, she just turned 18. And also that he never even, like, approached her. There was never any fact-checking. She had no idea this was going in a book.
2: Oh, my God. Yeah, and then he posted on Instagram this weird picture of him shirtless with her, and she looks really young and really uncomfortable, like very bad PR on his move, and was like, I understand why Natalie Portman would regret dating me, but that doesn't – that doesn't – change the fact that she did date me and everyone in the comments was like Moby like delete this now
0: it's just (laughs) so terrible it was like a slideshow
1: of photos where he has his arm around Natalie Portman and she just looks like so awkward and uncomfortable and like she doesn't want to be there and he was like this is proof we dated and it was like yeah exactly
2: literally being like this is proof
1: yeah and it was just like this is proof that she was like very much creeped out by you
2: I think the reason this is so interesting and why it's really good to have this conversation even though it might seem trivial off the back of the conversation we just have because I think it shows like the whole spectrum of men being unable or unwilling to look at women's responses in social situations you know what I mean like I think that Moby would really feel that he's like he's a vegan he's very politically aware he's very like left-wing Democrat into prisoners' rights and in tune with a lot of things politically and yet he had such a fucking blind spot about this and just completely couldn't see how off and wrong and weird it is
1: Yeah, exactly. to be dude
2: in your 30s and coming on to an uncomfortable girl who's a teenager and then two years later write about it and brag about it as if you had a sexual relationship. Like it's insane to me that someone like him could just not in any way see how off that is.
1: Yeah, I, I loved, there was an op-ed in The Guardian um, by Awa Mahadawi, I hope I said her name right, but she was sort of like, um, she said the way Moby's acting is a masterclass in nice guy misogyny, so he, she was like, he doesn't present right. as a scary predator, he looks non-threatening, he's a vegan, he's politically progressive, he's called out artists like Eminem for being misogynistic. But while Moby might not spout obviously misogynistic lyrics, he's obviously no feminist. He dismissed Portman's version of events, for example, as a gossip piece. He said he read a gossip piece and it was on like Harper's Bazaar US. Yes. <laughs> it's, just like, it's just like not fucking radar online. Um, yeah,
2: exactly. And she, I just love She's so in, she's just so supremely intelligent and eloquent. And in that interview, the way she said it was just, it just felt like reading this amazing like, think piece just how she speaks is so beautiful and then to have him respond the way he did I was just like oh my god
1: yeah and then like in this guardian piece as well she points out like the way he frames their first meeting in his book which is so problematic in itself because he can't he says that he's like he I'm a bald musician like she's this beautiful young movie star in my dressing room flirting with me and it's like what, so you're, you're phrasing it and, like, oh, my God, like, I can't believe this young actress is coming on to me. Like, what am I going to do? I'm powerless to this, like, poor Moby. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so gross. And I just don't believe that happened. Like, I believe she came backstage, which is what be like, I love Moby's music. Hi. Yeah, absolutely. And then I, he would have just done heaps of weird stuff.
0: It's and really then,
2: disappointing. Yeah, it is. But um, it's a good reminder of... Like and we just talk about it all the time. Just these guys, like just even Louis C.K. to bring it up again, like someone who you think is so woke and who so gets it, just completely like, Like just no fucking. I just don't believe that you don't know. No, I think you're willful, you're being willfully ignorant. A hundred percent. And I feel like that would happen
1: all the fucking time. Like even the Ezra sorry case to bring it back up, like. All the yes. guys who sort of say, like, they didn't realize that she wasn't into it, or like she didn't actively say no out loud. It's like, um, you can fucking tell. Does someone needs to be screaming
2: no for you to get that you shouldn't be doing something. Like, yeah. it is so funny that guys think that that's the metric against which is like okay behavior.
1: Exactly. Um, and sorry, I'm going to bring this Guardian face up again because she ended it in like the most right. brilliant way. Um, she was like what's really a shame is that a guy like Moby can dedicate years of his life to promoting veganism but still treats women like they're nothing more than a piece of meat
0: oh I love
1: yeah it's so true as a side note he's actually like come out now again and apologized so he's actually like he's backtracked again and been like oh shit like yeah sorry (laughs) Okay.
2: Well, I mean, if he can, like, learn from it, it's probably a very good – I think these are really good teaching moments for guys because I think that guys think that as long as they're not being a Harvey Weinstein, then they're fine. Whereas it's like you're better off just looking to Moby as an example of how not to act because I think a lot of boys or men could relate to that thing of just being – a bit creepy, like just enough creepy that it's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Like one of um, a friend of a friend of a friend of mine, we were at a party recently, and he was talking about like, oh, you know, like the tactics with girls. Like they love it when you come up with an excuse to go back to the, to your house. I was like, no, they don't. He yeah, so like, yeah, it's just like a cute little like coming up with the excuse. And I was like, a girl doesn't need to be tricked into having sex with you. Like, I was like, th- there's some point in the night where she's decided yeah. whether she is or isn't Definitely. and she'll either go home with you or she won't. Like, it's just so funny. Like, that's not in itself gross or horrible or weird, but it's just – it just shows you how so many men think – it. it. like, the dating thing is still a kind of, like, conquest thing or a how do I come up with a way to make her do it? Like, it's –
1: When it's like, if a girl wants to have sex with a guy, they will – fucking beeline for that guy But <laughs> like, it, yeah, you know what I mean like we're not just <laughs> these little like doves that don't know how to act
2: I know and girls aren't like oh I really really didn't want to but then he came up with a reason for me to come to his house and then I realized now I want to no. like you know what I mean that's a really when you even think about that for more than one second that's so bizarre like it just sounds like something that was picked up in one of those like shitty pickup line manuals that
1: Oh my god yeah i forgot about we that do,
2: remember that guy
1: that released that book about how to pick up women and it like went viral fuck that man that's so nuts those guys <laughs> always sound like virgins yeah i actually do <laughs>
2: <laughs> um Justin, I always think women love it when you like dominate the conversation and ask them no questions about themselves and like
1: oh my god just like how to be a douchebag 101 i know I want to quickly change the subject to talk about um, a very important discussion I had yesterday with my friend Hannah about where all the celebrities live in London.
2: Yeah. Where so, does Rihanna live? Have you figured that out yet? Or is that on the download?
1: No, she told me, but now fucking, like, I forgot the area. And I wish I was taking <laughs> notes, like, the whole time. I'm just going to have to text her. But, like, all the celebrities live in the – it's because I don't know London. So she was like, all the celebrities live in the, like, north – East or something, because that's where you're sort of far enough out that you can have big mansions. So, uh, like, the Beckhams yeah. live there. Um, yeah, Brianna lives there. But then, like, a bunch of other, like, more under the radar celebs live in the east. So, Kara Knightley lives on the same block as her. And she's, like, oh. just always in the supermarket with her kids and, like, always, like, smiles <laughs> and says hi to her and stuff because they're neighbors. And then she said, Kit Harrington's always, like, at the coffee shop she's at. <gasps>
2: Okay, so you need to move there.
1: Well not, yeah, it's like right where I'm staying.
2: Okay, well um, I don't need to stay there.
1: <laughs> yeah. And um she said Rihanna shops at Sainsbury's, which is just like the London version of Coles. Love. Like she doesn't shop at the fancy ones. Maisie Williams lives out east. Um and then I like put a screenshot in our Facebook group of like an actual like an actual Google search I was doing, where do celebrities live in London? And everyone Love. was responding and they were like celebrities are always spotted in the Chelsea Fulham areas and in Soho and at Holland Park is where the Beckhams always go and I was like to Anton I like read that out to Anton he was like I'm keen to go Beckham sighting I was like what?
2: Anton's like I know where Camilla Marone lives oh my
1: god I know um and then another girl said that David Beckham lives in the Kensington area and takes Harper to school a few mornings a week and she scooted she like rides a scooter to school so, like, Very they cute. they just, like, walk past their – David Beckham just walks past their house all the time.
2: Love.
1: Yeah. And also Jude Law was spotted at a bookshop.
2: <laughs> was spotted.
1: <laughs> I love Jude Law. I just want to be like
2: – Are going to get a job at TMZ while you're
1: there? <laughs> I just want to be around Jude Law and Hugh Grant. I don't know if TMZ cares about them <laughs>
2: anymore. <laughs>
1: yeah. Cute. Uh, um, okay. Should we wrap it up? Yeah. Wrap it up. I'm going to Spain tomorrow.
2: That's so exciting. Are I'm you going like, to party?
1: Yep. I'm actually like ludicrously hungover right now, so I'm going to go back to bed. And then we're going to Spain tomorrow and I'm going to like some crazy music festival that Miley Cyrus is playing at.
2: <laughs> Fun. I've only
1: just decided I like Miley Cyrus, so I'm quite keen. Even though I don't Yeah, like- she's. I don't know, like, any of her music, but I'm just into her as a person. Neither
2: do I, but she's so cute.
1: Yeah. And Liam will probably be there.
2: Yeah, keep an eye out. Mm. Keep an
1: eye. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will talk to you probably in, like, an hour. Yes. Bye, Bye. guys. See you next week for
2: our rate, review, and subscribe. Yes. Rate, review, subscribe. I know you're sick of hearing it, but we're sick of saying it and you're not doing it.
1: goes both ways exactly <laughs> bye bye